Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh my dear sisters. I hope you're well. Welcome to episode 9 of Her Story Inspires podcast. If you're new here, I'm Hannah. Um, episode 9 was yet again, yes you guessed, inspirational. Um, but honestly, I'm so grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these beautiful women for being so vulnerable and open with us and we pray that Allah accepts it from them. Before the episode begins, if you haven't seen the posts on our IG story yet, we announced the amazing news that Her Story Inspires podcast has reached three continents, mashallah in just nine weeks since we launched. May Allah bless it, grant us sincerity, expand it, accept it and allow it to reach the heart of the one who needs it. The second announcement is that in total, the episodes have been viewed over 10,000 times since we launched nine weeks ago. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Honestly, I'm so humbled and so super grateful. May Allah bless you all and your families. Honestly, the Her Story Inspires uh, sisterhood is so beautiful and from my heart, Jazakallah so much for all your love and support. Um, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to love you and his angels to love you and your families, uh, my dear sisters. Also, just wanted to say that we are always happy to receive feedback. If there is any suggestion on how we can improve, please do share. And I promise that we do listen. If you remember, when we first started, we introduced it as, a, as an online show. This was later switched to podcast after feedback from you guys. Um, and definitely there are more amazing changes uh, planned for season two, which we'll be announcing very soon. Jazakallah khan for all your love and support. Okay, so in episode nine, Dr. Aisha began the episode by sharing her childhood uh, upbringing as a mixed race child um, to her running away from home age 14 years old and living in a foster care home around that time and then entering school, uh, entering, sorry, medical school four years later when she was 18 and then she found Islam when she was 18 years old and she got married and she had her, her children while studying medicine. I think she said she had three of her four children, uh, if I'm correct, uh, whilst she was studying medicine. She also shared her time in the COVID wards during the first lockdown and how she was inspired to homeschool her four boys. Also, if you have ever wondered what inspired me to begin Her Story Inspires podcast, it's this story of Dr. Aisha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from Dr. Aisha, bless her and her family and make them a beacon of light. That's it from me now, my dear sisters. Take care of yourselves, inshallah. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah. We all have a story, a story of pain, a story of shame, guilt, sadness, and grief. A story of ups and downs, highs and lows that gave birth to who you are today, that empowered you to stand tall despite how broken you felt inside. And it's this that makes you special, beautiful, strong, and inspiring. Her Story Inspires is a weekly online show where women will be sharing their story of courage to leave you feeling inspired and more importantly to know that you're not alone. All right, Aisha, you ready to begin, yeah? Yes, yeah, inshallah. Okay, all right, let's begin, inshallah. So, bismillah, wa salatu salam ala rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, to dearest Dr. Aisha. Wa alaykum salam. MashaAllah. And assalamu alaikum to all of you, my dear sisters, who are joining us tonight. Um, welcome to episode nine of Her Story Inspires podcast. And tonight, MashaAllah, we have a uh, special guest. Um, her name is Dr. Aisha Griffiths Williamson. I hope I got that correct, MashaAllah. Um, usually, I just remember things and remember their bios and then I just share them. And yeah. I always seem to get them wrong. So I've taught myself, I've taught myself, I've taught myself today write it down and read it from the book. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure I read it from here. So Dr. Aisha Griffiths-Williamson is a mother to four boys. 
she is juggling a career in medicine and motherhood uh, and attempting to stay fit and healthy. And she is a new homeschooling mama. Okay, so that's, um, mashallah, intro into our uh, night guest speaker. Um, so, inshallah, before we start, let's begin by going way back to Aisha as a child. What was she like? Um, I was a quite a chatty child, um, and I was very, I was very, I was a hard work, I was a hard working child from from a young age, um, and I, I liked reading a lot. Mashallah, um, you know, I, I I haven't shared this with you, um, mm. but I'm going to share it today with you and all the sisters who are listening live and those who are going to be listening later on the podcast. Um, you know, her story inspires. It's been something I wanted to do for a long time, and it was a post that you posted once in your um, in your IG story, and mm. then I was like that's it, I know exactly, like, the intention behind the podcast. And it was a story you shared about, because I've been following you on IG for a really long time. Uh, yeah. I, I love, I love, like, I love everything you post. <laughs> Especially okay. when you have your boys on there, because I've got a boy and he's really, really active. And when I see your boys, I'm like, okay, he's all right. You know, boys are like this. <laughs> I'm doing that. Um, but it was a post you shared about how, um, about your, your, your childhood, and you talked about um, how, you, you know, you, uh, you were fostered. And obviously now I know that, you know, at the time when I was following you, you were training to be a GP or I think you were a GP. And I just yeah. thought, subhanAllah, this sister is so inspirational that you never hear stories like this. You never hear about someone being in, in the system, in the care of the system. And then, mashallah, like they become, um, you know, a, a GP, like a doctor. Um, would you mind sharing a bit about that, about, about that about part yeah. of your story? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I grew. I was born in Reading. Um, I've got an English mother. Well, she's half Welsh, half half English. So my name Griffiths. Actually, that's a typical Welsh name. So okay. sometimes if I meet someone who's Welsh and they see my surname, they will say, "Oh, are you are you Welsh?" Um, okay. And my dad is or is Jamaican. Um, and so I was born in Reading, um, mm. and we moved to London when I was about eight, eight years old. Okay. Um, now growing up, um, I didn't have a very good relationship with my mum. Um, okay. so of my, of my mum and dad's children, there's six of us all together. Um, okay. and I was the only girl and I was the eldest and I had five younger brothers. Um, and basically um growing up my my mom would often say how she didn't like having a daughter um she only okay. liked having having sons um and despite that i was I, I was actually a really good child and that's what i meant by like hard working so because i was the eldest i had a lot of responsibilities at home um and i and i did them all without complaining or anything like that i had um i would do all the washing for the whole household so there were six of us uh, it was my job to do all the washing. Uh, I used to have to iron all the school clothes, um, like on a Sunday before before school on a Monday. Um, and then my two younger brothers, I had looked after them when, when they were babies. So I was I was well known kind of as the child that did a lot of house chores and was always seen looking after her younger brothers. Um, and but despite that, I still had this relationship with my mum where you know, to put it bluntly, she was she would be quite mean to me on a, on a regular basis with a, mainly a lot of name calling. Um, so Ooh. I dealt with this my whole childhood, um, and then my mum and dad they broke up when I was about eleven. My dad he had bipolar um, disorder. Um, okay. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So he had that. So most of my childhood he did spend in and out of hospital. Um, I was very close with, with my dad, um, but when I was 11, um, my mum, which was reasonable, she found it hard to deal with him coming in and out of hospital. Um, it, was, it was hard for her at the time. So it wasn't that they fell out or anything, she just found that hard to deal with. So they separated when I was 11. Um, and my mum then afterwards met someone else and I had a, another younger brother. So, so he was mm. the fifth brother. 
Okay. Um, and when I was about 14, um, I ran away from home. Well, in that year, I probably ran away from home twice. The first time I ran away, my dad came and he asked me to come back home, um, which I did because I, I had a good relationship with my, with my dad. I would never have, you know, disobeyed anything he asked me to do. So I came back home. Um, and then a few months later, I ran away again. Um, and that time, my mum called social services and said she doesn't want me to come back to the house and basically said to them that I was living on, like, homeless. Um, so the social services, mm. they came and they uh, took me to a foster home. Um, and so I went to stay, at, still in South London, uh, with a foster carer. She was an, like, she was an elderly woman, a Jamaican woman, um, and she primarily just fostered teenagers. Um, so mm. I went to live with her. At, the at that time, it was um, the, you know, the summer holidays before you go into year 11. Yeah. Um, and I basically then ran away from the foster home. <laughs> so okay. I ran away from there. And um, that summer holidays, I was kind of just sleeping at different people's houses. Um, and then as it was coming to the end of the summer holidays, you know, I was thinking about school. I'd always wanted to be a doctor. So education yeah. was, had always been really important to me. So as okay. it was coming to the end of that summer holidays, I kind of knew I had to go back to that foster home um, so that, because obviously it would be difficult to study and things like that with GCSEs. So at the end of that summer, I went back to the foster home and then I stayed there till I was 18. Okay, wow, Aisha, mashallah, I didn't even know that. So when you were 14, you said that... Um, uh, you left home right and then that was the cause of you then uh, you know going into foster care yeah. and then just before year 11 you were kind of wanting to you, you kind of ran away but then you realized I need to come back to finish my GCSE so how is it that you manage just that's so okay carry on carry on your story so what happened did you stay so, so you went back to school in year 11 finished your studies I believe got your GCSE yeah. grades and then yeah. went to do your A-levels, got that, yeah. and then is it like that, yeah? And then you went straight to uni yeah. at 18? I went straight to uni, yeah. And you done um, medicine straight away, is that how it yeah. worked? Or? Straight away, yeah. Aisha, like, <laughs> subhanAllah, that's, that's incredible, right? That's incredible. Like, how did you get your mind at the age of 15 to think, okay, I need to get myself together, I need to finish off my GCSE, because bear in mind, you just you, you're not living at your uh, at your, with your mum like your family home that you've always you know been around and, and grow and you know and grow and you kind of grew up there. Like, how do you manage to do that? Because that's something that a lot of people, because I know a few people who have um, been through the, the 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 foster care system, mm -hmm. and it, it didn't go well for them, you know, as in yeah. long term wise. So how is it with you, Mashallah, like? you managed to kind of think you know what at 15 especially to think like that what do you think it was or, or it is or is well I can only really say that it had to have come from from Allah because um you're, you're right like what you said um and usually you know looked after children don't tend to do well um in life and but for some reason I just was guided at that time that I just I had a sensible head on my shoulders so I would always be thinking about the long term so you know during the summer holidays you can mess around and things like that but I knew that I wanted to be a doctor and I, I knew I had to work hard if I if I wanted to do that so you know I can only say that it, it would have had to have come from Allah to have guided me along that along that path. That's honestly so beautiful subhanAllah. Thank for sharing that um, subhanAllah. Um, so we've got uh, black underscore onyx 94 this asking the question what was your relationship with your foster mum like <laughs> um so my foster mum uh, she was elderly um and she was a bit <laughs> she was jamaican and she was a bit because with foster care they want to put they don't want um they want you to make sure all your like cultural needs are met kind of thing. Yeah. So although yeah. I had grown up with my mum mainly, who's obviously English. So they put me with this Jamaican foster carer and she was elderly and she was one of those scary Jamaican ladies to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm not gonna lie, I was a bit scared of her. She was really nice, um, but she was a bit scary and we didn't have like a kind of like close like 
mum daughter I, I lived there for four years and we didn't have like a like mum daughter relationship kind of thing and yeah. I remember um at one point she had to go back to Jamaica for four weeks and I had to stay with another foster carer um okay. for those four weeks and and that foster carer was Jamaican also and I actually much preferred that home for those four oh. at first I was like oh I hate to go somewhere but that foster care was a bit more like motherly um okay yeah so I remember really liking that foster home and I felt a bit sad when I had to go back to my to my ever foster home but we kind of had this relationship where I basically stayed in my room the whole time studying okay um and and she got used to that and I got used to that so that was our relationship basically um you know she cooked me dinner and I went to school and I stayed in my room and studied okay mashallah um Mashallah. All right, that's great. Um, and then you went on uh, and then you uh, went to uni. When, before we get to that, when did you find Islam or when were you, when did you, um, yeah, when did you find Islam? Like, how old were you? Um, so when I was in school from year seven, I had two friends uh, who I'm still friends with today. And if you follow my Instagram, you'll often see them uh, on there. Um, okay. And uh, they, they are Muslim. Uh, and in secondary school, they wasn't really that practicing. And then we all went to the same college together. And when we went to college, uh, they met another Muslim girl who was uh, quite religious. And so, you know, they started sitting with her and learning a lot about Islam. Um, and they started um, like increasing in their Iman and things. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was with them all the time. Uh, so I started to learn things about Islam that I had never, never known before. So before that, I, I never knew that Muslims believed in Jesus. Um, mm. I didn't realize they believed in Moses and Abraham and um, all the, the other prophets in, in the Bible. So yeah. I was kind of learning these new things. And at first I was shocked and I was thinking, oh, you, you know, you believe those things as well. But then obviously yeah. they, they had that at the time I, I, I was a Christian um, and they had those different beliefs to what I had um, and then at this time as well was when you know like the 7-7 seven, seven, uh, bombings happened oh yes yeah yeah so that was that time when I was in college and obviously then a lot of people who weren't Muslims around me would be you know talking badly about Muslims um, and Islam and at that time I felt really defensive because obviously my two best friends were Muslim so mm. I didn't appreciate listening to other people you know saying bad things about about Muslims so I remember getting yeah. really defensive and you know having arguments with you know like family members and things um about islam then i started to think about it and i started to think like if my beliefs are different from them then i'm yeah. basically saying when they talk about the prophet muhammad i'm basically saying that oh, what they're saying about him is, is a lie that he must have that he would have been like what they're saying can't can't be true technically if i if i'm a christian and yeah. I thought to myself, I can't say that. Like, how can I say that? That what they're saying is wrong and what I believe in is, is the truth. Mm. Um, so because of that, I then asked one of them if they, she could lend me like an English translation of the Quran. Yeah. So she lent it to me. And um, at first, I didn't want to read it, actually, because I felt a bit scared. Like, I, I think I knew oh. at that time that it, yeah. was, that it was true. Um, yeah. And I felt a bit scared to read it. And then if like it, it convinced me to be a Muslim and at that time I didn't want to be one so um, I remember then I asked one of my other friends who's a Christian if I could borrow a bible to read um, and I started reading that bible and she went to she lived qu quite close to my house um, and yeah. she went there was a church near it and um, so I started saying to her can I come to your church and I remember I started going to church every Sunday even my yeah. foster parent would say to me well where are you going I was like I'm going to church <laughs> <laughs> and she was surprised. Um, and then that went on for a while. And I remember saying to my uh, one of my Muslim friends, like, oh, I've not read that Quran yet. And I don't think I'm going to read it. I'm going to, you know, concentrate more on my own religion. Um, but after a while, you know, the Quran was just in my house looking at me. Um, so mm -hmm. I started to, to, you know, pick it up and start reading it. And I think I kind of, you know, like you skim chapters. So I think I like came to the chapter about uh, the Surah Maryam. Um, yeah. And I started reading that. And I just read those verses um, when Allah talks about, you know, about how he doesn't have a son and things like that. And it kind of then just 
like hit me and I was thinking oh I can't really argue with that like what can I say against that so then I I I thought you know if any religion is true it's going to be Islam like I felt that the Quran that I was reading spoke more to me than the Bible that I was reading it made more sense Mm -hmm. um and then soon after that that's when uh we finished college and I went to university and I went to King's College so in both secondary school and college like Muslims were the minority there was not many Muslims at all so I think that's why growing up I didn't know all those you know basic facts about Islam and to be fair I did kind of view it before as this Asian religion um and that's why it was a shock to me when we got in college and I learned all those other things about Islam um so then I went to university and in Kings, then there were lots of Muslims. So at that point, I, I kind of made friends with the Muslims um, and I learned even more about Islam. And then I, I knew that Islam was, was the truth. So then I converted soon, soon after I started university. Really. Oh, mashallah. So how old were you, like 18, 19? 18, like, right? 18. Yeah. My birthday was in August. So I was always the youngest okay. in my year. So, and it's the end of August as well. So when I started university, okay. I literally just turned 18. Oh, mashallah, that's so beautiful. Mashallah, that's so young. It's so fun as well to revert at that age. Um, okay, mashallah. Um, and, um, and also one thing I remember also, like you, 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 you done medicine. So uh, you were studying medicine and you also started your family, right? Yes, yes, I did, yeah. How, how did you do that? Because <laughs> you yeah. were demanding degree like medicine. Yeah, so um, I think because of the upbringing that I had, like all the responsibilities I had at home, yeah. so I was used to, uh, like looking after children was not a new thing, was not a new thing to me, and doing house chores and things like that. So, I, and I always wanted to have a big family. So um, yeah. I think I'm quite an impatient person. So when I started medicine, you know, like the degree was six years. Yeah, to me, I got sure. married in the first year, actually, in the first year of uni. Um, sure and not. to me, waiting six years to finish my degree and have children, that just felt so far away. Yeah. <laughs> I think because of my impatience, I was like, oh, no, I need to have, have children sooner. Um, yeah. And then, So I had my first child in the second year of medicine. Um, and it worked out quite well because in uni they just allow you to take a whole year out and you just rejoin the year where you left okay so I did that and I came back um and then I knew I knew then anyway I was planning to have another child not too I didn't want to wait too long afterwards because I wanted them to be close in age at that time I only planned to have two children during medicine um so I had this second child when I was in year four of medicine again I took a year out came back rejoined the year and then in my final year um during ramadan i found out that i was pregnant again (laughs) um and that was (laughs) unplanned um and at that time i thought i would i was due uh like about eight weeks before my final exams and i thought i really don't want to take another another year out especially for eight weeks like i'm so close to the end um so the university were really good um, and they spoke with me about it and, um, you know, they said that I can continue. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to take two weeks off. You have to take two weeks off by law. You can't come to work within two weeks of, of giving birth. So okay. I took those two weeks off um, yeah. and then I came back um, and I did my last rotation and I did my exams and Alhamdulillah, I passed. Mashallah, that's so inspirational. So you had you had just given birth and then you did your final yeah. exams. Yeah. Mashallah, barakallah, that's really inspirational. May Allah subhanahu wa accept it from you. Yeah, it must have been, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but alhamdulillah, <laughs> I got through it. Oh, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but it just goes to show that if, you, um, if there's a will, there's a way, isn't it? And if you really want something, yeah. you can really achieve it. Um, yeah. because, uh, I've been a mum for about four years and I see like when I interact with other mums, sometimes they, they use the excuse sort of having a child, uh, to not pursue like their career or 
or they see it as like a barrier when subhanallah it's not really you know no um okay i'm uh, just looking for the comments uh najah yeah. eritrean is asking the question can i ask you why you chose islam as a way of life uh but you already had your way of life i think it's so beautiful when reverts give up the the way of living the old lifestyle okay so what is like as in like what inspired you to give up the life you were living for islam Oh well, just the Quran, really. I mean, uh, when I learned about Islam and I learned about yeah. Allah, you know, yeah. if you if your faith in Allah, if you believe one hundred percent that Allah exists, mm. okay, giving up your ever way of life is easy because you know that this life is just temporary, um, mm. and at the end of the day, we're all going to be returning to, to Allah. So I actually found it quite easy to give up my. Um, my life before um because and that was the advantage of actually at kings when i met other muslims because then i felt like you know and at kings we had lots of talks and um it had a really good strong islamic community and because of that i think i learned about allah properly and mm. that gave me like i was i mean i have like there's not a single doubt in my mind about islam or allah and because of that it was just easy for me to give up um Mashallah. my life before Mashallah, may Allah accept it from you. Subhanallah, so beautiful. Um, okay, so Najah again saying, uh, "What keeps you firm on the way you dress so modestly?" Mashallah, so beautiful. Uh, I think basically just what I just said. So just that, yeah, that similar. That and mm. Islam is is true. Um, then that that makes it easy. Okay, mashallah. Um, Sarah.y.k, what would be one of your top tips for people wanting to have larger families? How do you balance it all? Mashallah, may I reward your family with good? I mean, um, so um, my top tips, um, I think actually having kids closer together is, I used to think, oh, if you have kids too close together, it makes it more difficult. But kind of looking back in hindsight, having kids close together actually, I think, makes it easier because you you start to adapt to like not having enough sleep. <laughs> like that just becomes the norm for you. Uh, yeah. so you, don't, you. You stop missing. You forget what life is like. Um, yeah, that's true. You're, you're, <laughs> um, and so I think that makes it easier to have lots of kids. Um, I think you know I've got four boys so in a way that kind of made it easier as well because clothes and things got passed down they all like the same activities so that makes it a bit cheaper the only thing I can say with having a large family is that uh that their kids are really expensive and I think mm. like people say babies are expensive but babies are not expensive children as they get bigger the bigger they get the more expensive they get so um that came a bit later that I realized like you know when you go on a day trip when your kids are three and under most places you don't have to pay for them but once they mm. turn three you need to start paying so when you've got like three above three suddenly that place becomes quite expensive so i think financially it can be hard to have lots of kids but in, in terms of like, managing them if you've got having a supportive husband as well does help so if your husband is has a job or that's you know doesn't take him out of the household for you know a, a large part of the day i think that that makes it easier um okay. so yeah that's my tips really <laughs> all right inshallah um one question from amina 3000 how do you organize your time to ensure you can balance all your different responsibilities yeah so i think that's that's probably the hardest um mm. i think what i do is i i kind i try to utilize every bit of time so I'm quite, um, and I don't like wasting time. So for example, mm. at work, I'm always late <laughs> to work. <laughs> um, and the reason is, is that if I get up early and I have half, say if I'm like, oh, it's half an hour till I need to leave the house, I will then think of what can I fill that half an hour with? Okay. Uh, before I know it, I, <laughs> because I filled that all that time, I then end up being a, like, you know, not ridiculously late but I'm normally like running in five ten minutes late and I'm I'm never early and it's because of that I try to utilize like every every bit of time um I also I think it's important to be able to look at yourself um and look at your 
your routine, whatever you're doing in life, and think about what you want to do and where you can fit that in. So, for example, with like exercise, mm. um, because I like to go running and things, and sometimes people often ask me, you know, how do you find time? Um, I yeah. I find time because I will I I will think to myself, okay, in the morning is my best time uh, if I'm going to go running. So you know, get up after Fajr and go and go for a run. Um, yeah. So I, I will look at that beforehand. So it's never a spontaneous thing. I never get up one day and think, oh, today I've got a bit of time, I'll go for a run. It's always pre-planned. So I'd always be thinking, okay, that day I, I start work later or that day I'm off. So that morning I will go for a run um, and things like that. And then again on the weekends, like most of my day is filled, but I kind of plan it or have a plan beforehand. So if you you know outside of lockdown if the kids have the activities i'll know that okay that hour we're going to swimming and then after that i've got like an hour or two hours before work so if we need to go to library we can do that or in terms of homeschooling then i will think what lessons i will do in that in that short time so it's basically just just planning and just trying to plan your time um before like early on and just think about it and and plan it yeah thank you for that um i hope that answers your question um Najash just said Zakalakhair for answering my question. I find it inspiring when I hear revert stories. Uh, Sarah or Sarah YK, I love hearing examples of modern motherhood, mashallah. Mashallah. Um I'd love to talk a bit more about um your career like in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um so what happened after you uh, completed the six year medical degree? Like after that. Um so then um so I, I mentioned how I'd had my ch- my third child uh yeah. just before my finals. So yeah. then I kind of thought should I take a break between finishing medicine and starting foundation training? But the problem is at that time that's when you don't you know you're going to forget things quickly if you've never worked in a hospital before. So I was quite reluctant to do that. Um, so I've heard of a lot of trainees working less what they call in medicine less than full time so they don't call it part time because you you do tend to work more than a person Mm. in another job that works part time so they call it less than full time okay so I decided to start my training um, less than full time uh, and I got a job in Dartford uh, because because I had children you can apply for special circumstances so where they don't send you to a hospital far away you can say you know I've got kids I need to be in a hospital close to my home so it was just outside of London so um I did my foundation training and I did because I did that lesson full time that took me four years and also because I had my fourth child during uh my second foundation year um so I did my all my foundation training and initially I want well initially when I started I didn't know what what speciality I wanted to do um in uni I actually I actually thought that I didn't want to be a doctor and you I didn't enjoy university actually um and okay. I thought I thought I wouldn't because I thought I wouldn't like being a doctor and okay. the reason is in Kings and Kings does have a reputation for this that but there's so many students there's 400 in a year so they send you to these hospitals these big hospitals like St Thomas's guys Lewisham um which are really busy and mm. you know as a student you're often just like completely overlooked not very organized mm. the doctors are busy so they don't have much time for you so that gave me a really bad impression of hospital and mm. uh working as a doctor so actually I, I there was many times in university where I was so tempted to um quit <laughs> um, and I was quite interested I, I was quite interested in the thought of being a teacher actually so um there was a few times in uni where I was quite tempted I remember like searching how to get into teaching and things like that yeah but alhamdulillah um, I pursued because actually when I started working it was a completely different experience for me um okay. so I had I hadn't thought about what kind of doctor I wanted to be before I started work um and when I started work I actually really enjoyed it in the hospital um so then I was quite confused what what you want to be and you have to apply for your specialities in your second year uh like in your foundation year two so it wasn't my actual second year because I was working less than full time and uh so I had a surgical job which I really really enjoyed and that made me think oh I want to do surgery okay Uh, I did really enjoy it but so the speciality of surgery is very it's very competitive to get into you have to work really hard to get into it 
um, you know, like doing audits and presentations in your like in your spare time and things like that. And I think with my family life, and then it does take you out, out away from your family a bit. You will, yeah. you know, the training is long. Um, there's going to be nights and on calls all the way through. Mm. Uh, so I then decided um, I, I did apply for surgery initially and I didn't get in. Um, and so I took a bit of time off and I locumed in surgery, hoping okay. to apply again. But I think in that time, I realized then that like, you know, is this the kind of life you're going to want forever? Like, it's okay when I was at work, I enjoyed it. But yeah. I, I, it did take me away from the family. And deep down, I do like being at home. So I decided then to apply for for, for GP training. Um, yeah. And I always knew I wanted to apply for GP training. Out, out, whatever specialty I was going to apply for, I always knew I wanted to apply for it outside of London because okay. of how expensive because of how expensive London is. And um, with having a big family, it's just harder, I think, to provide, you know, you're, you're going to have smaller houses, unless you're really yeah, definitely. Rich. Um, yeah. Like it is hard. It is harder in London. You get Definitely. way more money outside of London. So I always knew I was going to apply for my speciality training outside of London. Um, so I did apply for GP training um, up north, um, and I, I got in. Um, and so then I moved up north and started GP training. I'm still doing my GP training. So I'm not. I'm not a fully qualified okay. GP. Um, okay. I've got one year left. Actually, well, a year and a bit. In February, it will be one year. Um, I did my I did my GP training full time because uh, so my husband was a postman in London um, and I thought to my and my mother in law used to look after my children actually when I went to work okay, so that was really helpful obviously she couldn't come with me up north as well so yeah <laughs> um, we made the decision that my husband would stay at home and look after the kids. Um, okay. which just made it easy in terms of childcare and things like that. And yeah. then I would go to work and then I could complete GP training full time. Yeah. Um, I am actually though going to apply for my third year lesson full time again. So to work four days a week instead of the five days a week. Okay. Um, just because with the homeschooling and things now, I'm finding yeah. it just a little bit more difficult to fit everything in and having that one extra day definitely will help. Definitely. May Allah, uh, subhanAllah, just grant you success and aid you. I mean, um, I just wanted to ask about um, what was it like working in the hospitals during the pandemic? Um, As in, like, well, we're, sorry, we're still in the pandemic. I meant the first yeah. lockdown. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, so it was actually very different the first lockdown compared to the, this second time. So um, at that time, it was kind of funny how it like, how it trickled in because so we started hearing you know like in the on the news about china and this new virus and things yeah. like that so obviously we'd be talking about it at work um yeah. and also I, I kind of work two jobs by the way i work in i work in so one of my jobs was in a and e um yeah. and i liked it so much <laughs> that i often go there as well every every week at least for one day um okay. mainly because of the extra money to be fair but also yeah. i do enjoy it um so, and a lot of GPs, they do actually work in A&E full time. So okay. that is one of the career options you have um, doing GP training. Um, okay. Yeah, so, uh, so I, had a, I was in that A&E job and I also was in medicine um, at a small hospital uh, near me. Um, so it was kind of, we started hearing of the, this coronavirus and mm -hmm. I, I remember in A and E, I have I had this patient, and he was quite he was unwell from a like a respiratory point of view, and I had yeah. given him antibiotics and things, and I called the medical registrar to say, you know, I've given him uh, this treatment, and he's not responding. Um, and I remember her saying, like, oh, have you swabbed for like flu? Because at them times the flu would be our main worry during the winter yeah. when it came, and they wasn't responding typically to. Yeah. Um, to antibiotics and i remember her saying you know there's this new virus in china and i'm sure he doesn't have that but like you know we, we need to be thinking about other possible like ever weird like weird bugs that might cause these kind of symptoms and i remember okay. thinking like why would this guy have 
have this virus from China. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like looking back, it was just like amazing how it just escalated from that to wow. so soon after we started to, you know, then it's, it, you know, it happened in Italy where the cases were increasing. Oh, yes. I remember that, so yeah. there was just a lot of talk. And obviously it was very new for doctors because it was new yeah. for us. So we was all learning things at this Can you hear me still? Yeah, sorry. I think the internet yeah. connection is... Yeah. I think it's my internet, you know. It's been playing up all day. Um, can you hear me now? Um, I can hear you now, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, at that time... Yeah, so it kind of escalated all really quickly. The thing in, with it, it started with Italy. Um, and we still like couldn't believe it and didn't think that we w might start seeing patients with coronavirus but then it started to happen that you'd see a patient and then oh and also the, re the results from the swab would take ages when it first happened you'd have to mm. wait like a whole day so by then you'd finish wow. the shift and go off so then you'd hear like mm. oh that patient you know they tested positive um and then mm. what happened was the the government made those guidelines where they um the initial guidelines when they said you know if you have any symptoms of a cough or fever you need to self-isolate um but at that oh, time yes. they still they still wasn't testing like they was only testing you if you was unwell um and needed wow. admitting to hospital so at that time mm. my children they actually got a fever from school okay. so i had to isolate for two weeks and in those two weeks was when everything changed Mm -hmm. So when I then went back to work, on the first day I went back after those two weeks in my normal hospital in medicine, they changed the whole hospital. So there was like a COVID side, a non-COVID side. If you was on the COVID side, you couldn't cross over to the non-COVID side on that working day until you'd gone home and changed all your clothes and things like that. So I remember coming back and that was quite scary, you know, having two weeks yes. off and that and I like mm. came to work wearing my normal clothes and everyone was wearing scrubs and they was like no you have to wear scrubs and I had to go to like the maternity theatres to get to get scrubs because um a lot of the scrubs had had gone because people had taken the scrubs um mm. so at that time uh, and then on that rotor we we did so you'd work like two days on the coat they didn't want to just put some trainees some doctors oh you're just working on the covid side and other doctors you're just working on the non-covid side they wanted to make it there so you'd spend like two days working on the covid side or two days working on the non-covid side okay and what happened was is that that first week that i came back the covid so the hospital i'm i'm at it doesn't have oh. acute like itu and things like that okay so covid the ward so the patients there are patients that wouldn't be for escalation so they're okay. old and frail they're old and frail um, and they wouldn't be for um, ITU because it just they're not going to recover. Um, so mm. basically, that COVID ward that we had, it, mm. it got onto that ward. It, I mean, the reason why they made that ward the COVID ward was because that's where the patients first started testing positive, okay. and it, literally every patient on that ward passed away, oh. apart from three patients. So when I came back and I heard that, I remember feeling just a bit like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I've been away and I've come back and I'm, I'm hearing that. Yeah. Um, and then you had to learn how to use all like, um, you know, when you had to use the proper PP mask and when mm. not to use it. So it was a lot of kind of like, we're trying to learn at the same time as treating the patients that have, have coronavirus. So it, that first lockdown, it was really scary. Yeah. Um, but I think we, we, we just got how and how they during the first lockdown what they did was um they cancelled every other service okay. in a way that made it easier um, and our typical working day was less busy than before because okay. we was only really looking after um covid positive patients and that was it um okay. so it was easier from that point of view our rotor was a nicer as well because they made our days longer um okay. so we had long, we had longer days and we had more days off. So from that point of view, it, you know, that was, that was good. Um, but obviously it was, it was scarier during that first uh, lockdown. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you, when you, I'm sure for you as well, when you saw the numbers increasing, 
um, in terms of like death rates and even yeah. those who've been, you know, uh, pos- uh, uh, they got positive uh, after doing a test. Um, I just wanted to ask you, like, what would you say for, it might be a bit of a controversial question, but what would you say for those who don't believe that COVID exists? I think the reason why some people believe that COVID doesn't exist is because they haven't seen COVID. <laughs> so mm. they're just watching the news and they're seeing all of that. And it has not, it has not, affect, the, the problem with coronavirus is that the way the disease acts is that, you know, you could get it and be not even have barely any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone else could get it and they could be so unwell. It doesn't matter what age they are because we have seen patients who are younger yeah. um, having just as severe symptoms as patients who are older. Yeah. But if you've not seen that um, and all you're being told is, oh, you need to wear a mask and things like that, I can kind of understand, you know, why they, they feel confused. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, how can you say COVID doesn't exist? Like, am I just making it up if I go to work and, you know, <laughs> I, I have an unwell patient? Uh, and you can see the changes on their chest x-ray um, of a patient who's got coronavirus to not having coronavirus. You could see how the disease acts. What would happen is around day seven or day 10, uh, you get this like, um, like overwhelming effect in the lungs. Um, and it kind of happens spontaneously. So you, you would start to recognise that and see it. So, I mean, mm. they think co- coronavirus doesn't exist because they've not seen it. And because just because they've mm. been lucky enough that no one in their family has been affected by it. But, you know, you can't yeah. just say um, something doesn't exist because because you haven't seen it. You know, that's mm. like me saying, you know, I wouldn't go around saying diabetes doesn't exist because I've no one I no, like none of my close family members or friends have diabetes so it must not exist yeah. um so yeah it's a bit crazy okay all right then cool um um is saying Allah says can you adopt me please <laughs> i need that inspiration in my life <laughs> um amina 3000 what in what influenced the decision that is the decision to homeschool um so uh from when I had kids from when I, they was young, I always loved the thought of homeschooling. So, you know, I would typically follow homeschooling accounts on Instagram um, and, because I, I like the idea of it. I just like the fact, the thought of, you know, teaching your own kids. Um, you don't have to worry about any fitness that might occur in school um, yeah. uh, and things like that. Then when that first, um, during the first lockdown, when they shut all the schools, um, although key worker children could go to to school because my husband was at home, the schools were like, you know, if your kids can stay away from school, then staying away is best for them. So okay. my kids stayed at home and I actually really enjoyed teaching them. Oh. I enjoyed it when on my days off when I would be like, OK, now we're going to do homeschooling things. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so when it started coming towards and even when the school were given work and things, I didn't want to do that work. I just wanted to do my own work. Um, and then <laughs> yeah. as it started coming, as it started coming closer to, you know, when the children would be returning, yeah. um, I, I knew I did, I really didn't want to send them back. It was just the thought of that being over, like sending them back to school and not spending our days doing that anymore. I, yeah. I didn't want that. So I then uh, spoke with the school and said, you know, I wanted to deregister them and teach them at home. Uh, so yeah. it's not easy with work with work and things, but um, it's definitely manageable. And I spent a lot of that time actually looking looking at like looking at other homeschoolers, uh, like other working homeschoolers especially. Um, and I even yeah. found this group on you know homeschooling is quite big in America, so I even yeah. found this group on Facebook of doctors mums who homeschool in America. So okay. I was like, it's so I, you know I spoke with them. Um, so I knew it was definitely possible though. Yeah. It was mainly just the enjoyment actually of, of homeschooling. Okay, mashallah, that's really cool. Um Rosaline Batul. Salam alaikum ladies. Wa alaikum salam Rosaline. Hope you're well. Um Okay, mashallah. Um so you talked about mashallah, you've got four four boys. Um mm-hmm. I'd like if you could just share with us what it's like to raise four boys mashallah, because I've got one boy he was my he's my first and well, he's a typical boy 
Um, but it wasn't until I had my daughter that I was like, oh, this is what I thought motherhood would be like. Because <laughs> she's just so opposite oh, to him. Okay. She's more calm, yeah. she's just more like, listen, like the first time I tell her to do something. Mm. Um, and honestly, like, thank you so much for doing, for sharing like your four boys on your Instagram. Because honestly, like I said, when I first started following you, and then when I would see like your boys and how just, just how you would not them more about how you were with them, I realized like Hannah like calm down a bit with with Anwar yeah. like <laughs> you know so like I'd love for you to talk a bit about that like you know what it's like to raise four boys and how you found the experience and I don't know like you said like you had brothers so yeah. maybe that's that's what it was as well My but God. I'd love to know. Um, yeah, so yeah I think yeah like you said so because I had five younger brothers so it kind of came naturally to me anyway um <laughs> and I do I obviously I've got nothing to compare it to so I, I you know I don't have a daughter to compare it and say you know boys compared to girls are like this but I would yeah. say that every day every day is fun like there's always a lot of energy um yes. my kids are very they're very easy I don't know if it's because they're boys or whatever but they seem very easy to please like even if I just want to go to Tesco and I take them it's like they see it as a day trip <laughs> so, so they're very easy to please like that like I can take them anywhere they they don't have like you, you know I never hear like oh I'm bored um type thing Aww. you're right that boys are very active and the house yeah. is always noisy and they're always jumping around they're always yeah. play fighting um and sometimes that does get a bit much um but i'd say overall uh raising raising boys is is fun oh, and boys Allah. they love them they love their mum don't they so yeah you know, my son's always asking for hugs yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, so i think true. boys are like that okay mashallah mashallah um okay mashallah um i'd love for you to talk a bit about um like you talked about how you found Islam and how it was the verses of Surah Maryam that kind of uh, inspired you. Um, looking over your life now, since you've been a Muslim, since since you're 18 years old, mashallah, um, how would you say your journey of faith has been? So um, it has changed actually quite a lot over the years. I think initially when it started, it was very, uh, like, very strong, like, very passionate. I remember at that time, like, you know, I wanted to teach everyone about what I was learning about Islam Aww. at that time. Um, and I think then as the years have gone, like, I think it's with maturity, really, that as you become more, more mature, you start to know that people, you just accept that people have their differences. They're going to be yeah. different. Like, you know, you can, you can share the message and things like that, but it doesn't mean they're going to want to believe everything that you say. So I think over the years, I basically went from being very vocal, very vocal about my beliefs um, and then kind of just mellowing out um, and just becoming just less vocal. Like, obviously, if people ask me, I will, I will tell them. But I won't be so, I think, forceful with with my beliefs, really. Um, but other than that, I think that's, you know, that's the only really yeah. difference or, or change during those years. Okay, mashallah. Um, and I just wanted to ask also, like, you first, you're living in London and you moved up to the north of England. How was that? Adapt to that. Yeah. So when I was in <laughs> London, I remember seeing a TikTok video recently with this guy um, basically saying, you know, out, if you're from London, you just think that everywhere outside of London is very, uh, like, very English or, you know, there's no brown people or there's no Muslims or whatever. Yeah. So I, I definitely had those beliefs. And I remember when I w looked at the house I'm looking at now. I'm, I'm living in now when I came to look at it I remember thinking oh there's no Muslims around like, I went to the local Tesco's and I was like there's no brown people there's no Muslims um <laughs> and then it's so funny because literally like my the neighbor across my street is Muslim they're never Aww. neighbor like there's so there's lots of Muslims actually um Inshallah. so I think at first I moved up north with all of those assumptions but when I moved actually it's not like that at all um and it is obviously it's not as multicultural as london um it is yeah. different but 
but um it, it's okay it's not something that I can complain about or and people up north that are really friendly so oh, that's good so yeah so it's all right Alhamdulillah, that's really good. I remember once on your Instagram, you had the, on your story, you had about a, a patient you went to see uh, at their home, but they wouldn't let you in. Oh yeah, yeah. So I did have that that experience actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. so I went. To, I had to go on a home <laughs> visit, and the patient was really racist to me. Um, you know, oh, I went yeah. to see her the first time, and she said she didn't want to see a doctor uh, from the desert. Um, wow. And, the GP practice I was at it was very short like there was not that many doctors so on a okay. typical day there might only be two doctors so it happened again that she was unwell and she needed another home visit and I was the only person that could go to her house yeah um and her daughter was there and her daughter told the practice that no uh, she'll be there and her mum's going to be okay um and she was mm. still she wasn't like this time she was still very racist but she was happy for me to see her um, mm. in a way that made it worse because it meant that I had to still uh see her while yeah. she was saying lots lots of racist things so mm. yeah that obviously I, I'm sure I probably wouldn't have experienced something like that in London yeah um, but that was not a common experience so okay you know, the other hospital one of the other hospitals I was at which is in uh, North Yorkshire and it's a very a very countryside place you know a lot of the patients are farmers yeah. um I learned a lot about farming at that hospital <laughs> which was you know a completely different experience from yeah. London and there like the patients were so nice they were so friendly Aww. um and often especially the elderly ladies they would you know they'd say oh i really like your scarf Aww. um and things Shut like up. that so the racist patient i had is not is not the typical um most that was the only um of that kind of racism you get the other things like oh where are you from you know yeah. obviously you can't you can't be english if you're you know wearing a scarf <laughs> that you know that kind of attitude but yeah. i've never had that kind of outward that outward racism a again okay okay much that's really good then that's really really good um what would you advise somebody who wants to study medicine um but maybe like maybe she's um like a, a mom or maybe she's um in a situation where there's barriers well, she thinks they're barriers. Like, what advice would you give someone like that? Say they're listening to this podcast. Yeah, I would say if you want to study medicine, um, like being a mom or or whatever, that that's not an actual barrier. Um, that's just the barrier that you have in your mind. But being a mom does not stop you at all from studying medicine. And there's lo there are actually lots of people who study medicine who either um, have children. I actually met a sister at work the other day who's a medical student in the last year and she's 39. At first I thought she was my age and you know now everyone wears masks so you Aww. can't see people's faces properly and then she told me that actually she's 39 and yeah. she has um, she has three children um, and she'd come back to to study medicine. Um, wow. So, you know, it is, although, you know, you, you think when you think of students or medical students, you think of young people with no commitments, but it's just not true. You will find loads of loads of medical students who yeah. have families and children and things like that. Um, yeah. And and it's fine. It's manageable because you go to you go during the day and you do whatever placements you do and you come home and you just have to study in, in the evenings. So it's manageable. Okay, um, that's so really I think good. if you want to study medicine, you, you just go for it. Okay, that's great, mashallah. Um, Amina3000 is asking, can you tell us about your fitness journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's changed a lot over the years. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think uh, I just basically, I genuinely do enjoy exercise and eating healthily. Yeah. Um, so I just basically... Like I always have exercise as part of my plan, really. I mean, you, I might go weeks where I don't get to work out because of time or whatever, um, but I will try to incorporate it into my into my routine. Um, so I will try to exercise regularly, um, and I will try to I will try to relatively eat healthily. Although I do I do have a bit of a sweet tooth, and I have fallen off the wagon I think a bit over the last few months, which I do hope hope to get back onto it. 
um so that's it really and obviously having children you put on weight each time you have children so you know you have to make effort to lose weight Uh, some people lose weight naturally but I didn't I had to make an effort each time to to lose weight so those times I would just be more focused on exercising and eating healthily watching what I was eating and things like that okay mashallah um okay so just moving on now to the summary questions um the first one being if you had to pick one person who's been like your rock throughout your life or throughout your journey so far who would it be and why so i know you told me you was going to ask me this but (laughs) i can't actually think of one of one rock um i feel like i had different people who who were like rocks to me at different depending on what type like what I was going throughout my life at, in that time yeah. so I think like when I was younger my actually younger brothers were my rock at that time and I was living at home um and then like when I went to school definitely my friends were my um helped me get through that difficult time going into foster care and things like that um yeah. I think if I didn't have my school friends things might have turned out differently. They're all very uh, like professionally minded as well. They all wanted to go to university and have, you know, their lawyers or uh, nurses or doctors. Um, So I think that having friends like that at that time was very supportive. Um, And then again, in university, like my husband was very supportive with my studies and things like that. And then Mm. also I did make very good friends as well um, then and, continue to have them afterwards while working and having children one of my ever friends she's a uh, full-time doctor she's got four kids as well mashallah so having friends that are going through the same kind of you know similar experience to you I think that that helps um because you can learn from them and you know like we will have a whatsapp group and we'll message each other you know regular daily um and get an advice from each other and things like that so I think that that helps Mashallah, that's really, really beautiful. May Allah bless your friendship, Mashallah, that's really beautiful. Um, okay, and the last summary question is, what three pieces of advice would you share with your younger self? Okay, yeah. So, um, I think I would have advised myself to be a bit more patient. So, um, like, not to rush into decision. not not that I rushed into decisions, but kind of like, I think I rushed things quite quickly. Um, and now I feel like, okay, now I'm, I'm 32. And I feel like, well, I've had four children now. I'm doing GP training. It's like, what's next? <laughs> so I think it might have been nice to have like not rushed certain things. Um, not that I regret having like children or anything younger, but definitely I think things are a bit harder now in terms of mainly financially, really, um, that I didn't take time to save money or like, you know, if you start, if you have your children, once you start working, I think you might have some savings and things like that, where I feel like I've had to kind of like do all of that together, which yeah. has made, which has made things um, like not easy. Uh, so that's one. Did you ask me for three? Three, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one uh okay. second well no that's kind of two be, being more patient and saving okay. and especially <laughs> i would advise myself to save money All right. <laughs> um, uh, so that's two um the third thing um um hey, i've written it down actually so no, go ahead yes fine <laughs> grab it <laughs> Oh yeah. So, um, when I was at uni, when I went to uni, um, I think I was a bit, you know, when I was at school, because my school was like an under, like an underprivileged school, I was kind of one one of the higher performers in school and that made me really confident. Yeah. When I went to uni, especially because at that time I got separated from my friends, they went to different universities. I think I became really like, I was a bit overwhelmed. Um, and because of that, I became really unconfident, I say, and I, if, I would say to my, if I could give myself advice, I would have just said to, you know, have been more confident at that time. Um, yeah. And, you know, possibly to have, I think I, also I was so like, oh my God, I got into medicine. Because yeah. although I always wanted to be a doctor, I always thought I wouldn't get in. Um, um, so I think once I got in, I was like, that's it now, I'm, I'm in. So it's okay. <laughs> and I didn't think like, you know, you have to think about what kind of doctor you want to be. Um, and start building up your portfolio and things like that beforehand 
So yeah. I definitely would, would advise, I've advised myself to, you know, have thought about that kind of stuff in university. Okay, mashallah, that's amazing. Zakalakha for sharing that. Um, if there are any questions for Dr. Aisha, please just uh, share it now so we can ask her. Um, Aisha Khala, she's saying, Jazakallah khair sister for sharing your inspirational story. I really, in I really enjoyed listening. All the best with your remaining studies. May Allah make it easy for you. I mean, lots of love and du'as. Oh, Jazakallah khair. I mean. Okay, mashallah. Um, okay, if there's no questions, inshallah, we'll just end the episode here. Yeah. Um, okay, and if there are any questions, you can just... Um, Message us privately on herstory.inspires and then inshallah we'll pass it on to uh, Dr. Aisha. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept what's been said and what's been heard and to make evidence for us and not against us. And we want to um, thank uh, Dr. Aisha for taking time out to join us in this episode. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless her and her family and to make them beacons of light. Um, Barakallah Fiki, Dr. Aisha, for joining us. And all you, my dear sisters, who have joined us live, and all those, inshallah, who will be listening on, uh, who are listening to the podcast or YouTube channel, um, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you and to, inshallah, grant you his love. Um, so, inshallah, episode 10 will be next week, uh, Saturday at 8.30 p.m. The guest speaker will be shared on Monday, as usual, in our IG page. Um, this episode, episode 9, will be available sometime next week over on the YouTube channel and podcast platforms. And it should be available on IGTV within five minutes of this uh, episode ending. Um, inshallah, just one more comment just come through from Amina3000. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Such an honor and privilege to hear from you. And Nadiu UK, I think, as I just read, uh, said thank you. Um, inshallah, we'll end it here, inshallah, Aisha. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. And may Allah accept it from you. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum